Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. Today's update is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to cover an underdog token. I thought about it, but I figured since today is somewhat of a special day, I'm going to take a slight break. I will be back on it tomorrow, but for today, I'm not going to cover an underdog token. There's a lot happening in the industry of crypto, though, and that conversation will take a little bit of time, so that's what's going to be my focus for today's episode. And I'm going to circle back on some previous cryptocurrencies that have had some significant updates that I think are worth mentioning. But it all ties together because if you've looked at your charts today or you've gone to Dex Tools or PooCoin or anything else, you saw a bunch of red and you're like, what the heck happened? I don't know specifics, but I'm going to posit, as in P-O-S-I-T, meaning I'm going to provide a little bit of speculation and hypothesis around what I suspect is happening. I mentioned in an earlier episode that cryptocurrency is all interrelated by way of the liquidity pools. Liquidity pools are formed by Bitcoin, Ethereum, and stablecoins, usually USD Tether, or it could be USDC, predominantly. There could be other pairs. There could be straight USD. There could be fiat in your country, might have its own pair in some off exchange that's specific to your country. But generally speaking, it's going to be around Bitcoin, Ethereum, BNB for the Binance side, Matic for the Polygon side, and so on. The liquidity pairs, of course, are what power the ability to do trading on the exchanges as well as on the swaps. However, liquidity pool is just a bunch of whatever currency. So a bunch of BNB or a bunch of Ethereum, a bunch of Bitcoin. That liquidity has a value itself, right? That pool. That's the totality of what's in there at a given time. And then, of course, what's the price per increment? So in this case, per Bitcoin or per Ethereum. What happens is when you have price movements on the liquidity pair components, it tends to affect the rest of the industry because the underlying currency itself is suffering. So if you notice, Bitcoin's trending down, Ethereum's trending down, BNB is down. BNB's not, not down a lot, but it's down a pretty fair share from an initial growth. It got near to 500, I think it got over $500 at a point. And it's back down to 470. 470's not bad, but it's certainly nowhere near the like 600, 650, 700 that it was back, I believe last year, late last year. So it's down and it hasn't recovered fully. Ethereum was able to get back up into the fours, but now it's trending back down and it's in the threes. Well, remember, Ethereum got very near, I believe got near $5,000 at a point. And then of course, Bitcoin's been having issues at its resistance point. And I covered on a previous episode that there's reserves running out on the exchanges. There were also speculations that Miners, as in M-I-N-E-R-S, might be stockpiling the Bitcoin themselves as opposed to making it available for the exchanges, which might harm the overall price movement because they're not able to transact. And remember, price movement is directly correlated to volume. Lower volume, lower price movement. Why is this important? Because I believe, this is my hypothesis, that some of the price action that you're seeing here is directly symptomatic of A, those core co coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Binance, and so on, their prices are going down, which I believe is correlated to a lower volume from those core currencies. I also think there's a little bit of sellout because I am seeing the stable coin. You can look at the graph on the stable coin, especially Tether, and you can see where it's trying to move, like it's trying to go a little bit up and down. That means that people are actively buying and selling 
Usually it's on the sell side when it's in the green, because obviously if you're selling and you're putting back in the pool, you, you want more available, right? It's the opposite of the other type of cryptos where you want scarcity in a stable coin situation. It's value is perfect one. It's not like it's up or down by a percent or up and down by a decimal. It's supposed to be perfect one. So you want more of it, which is its value. Its value is a true value indicator. If you have a billion coins, you have a billion coins. If you have 500 million coins, it went down, right? Half a billion. So it's a very easy calculation on stable coin side. When you look at the graph and you see it's green, we can usually correlate this to an increase in sellout of other cryptos to those stable coins, which could be correlated to people that are trying to prepare for tax season, which I did call out as a risk last year because it's normal around the first quarter ish of any new year. Most of your larger players, you're talking your celebrities in particular, them you're talking your hedge funds, you're talking your attorneys, anybody who makes a lot of doctors, right? Anybody who makes a lot of money, they're going to be trying to figure out ways to stockpile cash. You probably saw about how Elon Musk was basically dropping bags of his stock because of his tax bill. So he had to sell out a whole bunch of stuff and it harmed the stock. Well, this is kind of also the case with crypto in some cases when you have whales who sell their bags predominantly for tax bills and making sure that they're able to make those payments because their gains are almost always greater than their losses. They lose like everybody else, but their gains are much greater than their losses, especially if they invest in cryptos that have reflections and they put in enough bag to where the reflections that come in outweigh how much the losses are when there are sales. And then if they take the smart strategy that I talked about in the other episode where they chunk out and take profit on a regular basis, they're able to mitigate their losses even greater. Some of them will just dump, like we saw with ETH fan token. There were a lot of whales that were just dumping major bags. I was watching the graph. We're talking $30,000, $15,000, $40,000 at a slice. I know these people didn't have trillions and trillions because I watched the holder list, and there aren't very many people that have a lot of the coins. So I'm, a, I'm suspecting that people just basically bought in at some point, and it was worth you know $5,000, and then, of course, it jumped four, and then they're selling out the bag. I don't agree with it. I think you should take chunks, chunks of profit, because if you think about it, if you take a chunk of profit and the price is X, and then you wait for the price to go up times two, and you take another chunk, you get more money than if you take it price X, all of it. But it's their money. They're going to do what they're going to do with it. I don't think it's smart strategy because you're actually harming the token, number one. But number two, you're getting less than you would have gotten if you had just chunked it out. Even if there's a bunch of whales and it doesn't look like there are, but even if there were, I think you would get more and more value out of it if you do it that way. Now, it's ultimately up to them and across the industry. I also see that there are some whale sellouts on other tokens, and they happen roughly around the same time as what I saw on ETH fan token. One came out of thin air, and I didn't cover it because I'm not sure if it's legit or not, but Web3 came out of nowhere, did an airdrop of some tokens to people, and I watched it, and it was it was pumping very strong, very similar to the way ETH fan token was doing. But, of course, all Web3 had to offer really were reflections. It didn't have any benefits or any rewards or anything that I could see to it, nothing fundamental that would make it sense. And like I said, I was skeptical of it. They claimed to renounce the ownership, but I wasn't sure that's the case. And because it did an airdrop out of thin air, and it was only like five cents, but because it did an airdrop, 
You don't know if it's a scam or not. But I saw major pumps on that one. That one jumped multiple hundreds of percents. And then all of a sudden it started dumping on a massive scale, just like with ETH fan token. I believe this is strategic. I believe that there's these, many of these whales are basically buying these low cap ones and they're driving it up because they're putting a lot in, knowing that they're going to put, pull a lot out. I actually have no problem with the larger players buying in because I think that any token needs that price movement and you're not going to get it without the big money players. I said that to Affinity multiple times and listen to me. But I think that's where you're going to get the big money players. My only concern has always ever only been, I think that you sh- if you're going to be a big player buying in, and let's say there's one that's got a lot of money listening to this podcast. If you're going to buy in, let's say 100 BNB, I'm, I'm not going to do quick math, but let's assume 100 BNB is $400,000. So you put $400,000 at some project. It's not a YOLO for you because you got tons of money. Okay, so you toss $400,000 on it. it. Let's say it jumps by double. I would rather you just simply pull out $200,000, let's say, and then let it jump again, then pull $200,000. So now you got your money back. But now you've realized profit without overly harming the token. Instead of what I see people doing, which is to basically just pull it all out, and then they're gone. And then the token, it'll recover. I'm pretty sure it'll recover. And many of these will. But to me, that harm doesn't make any sense because you're harming yourself too. You're harming yourself out of the profit you could have gotten if you chunked it out. That's my opinion versus a mass pull where you immediately tank the value, right? And then maybe you do buy in on the dip to do it again and wait for it to go up. Maybe that's your strategy, kind of a compound approach. But I think that's more risk because what if it doesn't recover? What if it doesn't go back up and what what if it goes down? We saw that with Satama. In Satama, they had an initial push and then it dipped and then during the faded Vegas event, it spiked to unreasonable levels. And I'm sure that there was some orchestrated strategic pumping going on with that one, but it's never recovered since. It was able to get a little bit of spikes here and there up to the four, but it's not been able to sustain the growth that it did prior to the Vegas event. And part of this is strategic, I know, and part of this is sentiment. And I'm pretty sure part of it is just the fact the wallet's not there and people are waiting. Like there's all these different factors. So if you're a whale, to me, it doesn't make any sense to just do the mass sellout, especially in tokens that aren't spiking, rather than just doing a chunked approach. Because you're getting the reflections, you could be realizing major amounts of profit. And from a tax bill perspective, it's illogical to me that you would want to realize a gain of 10x, knowing you're going to have to pay the max tax on that, as opposed to realizing a gain of 2x and paying less taxes for that year, and maybe you're just concerned about it losing over time, but that's just that seems to indicate that you never had trust in the project. If you never had trust in the project, okay, power to you, but I would rather see people buy into projects because they have belief that they're going to sustain long-term. And when I look at projects like EverRise, and it's one of the few that seems to be able to weather the storm of this price movement that we're seeing, well, EverRise's whole, let's say, sales pitch is the idea of constant burn, and the idea of state, right? And so you're staking it, so you're creating scarcity, but you're also staking it, and so you're increasing circulating supply to get it to where it's matching the total supply, and then the price movement should correlate to it. As a result, it's dangerously close to one penny. Now, of course, there's a lot of tokens there, so anybody that's holding at least a million tokens, I mean, that's a lot of money that would be gone from that token should they all sell out once it hits that, you know, 10 cent mark, let's say, 
So it'll hit some price challenges going up. But as of right now, it's been slowly but surely getting close to that penny mark. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in EverRise that are the same way that they're whales that bought in early on. And it's gone through a couple of contract migrations. So the inventory is certainly different. But my point is, is that as a whale, it's going to probably suffer the same type of situation we're seeing with other ones where you see these bulk sellouts that don't make any sense to me because you're not, you're harming the token, but you're also mitigating any opportunity for you to maximize your profit from my perspective. Anybody who contradicts that I want to smoke, please. If you have some logic as to why you do that, come on the show. I will listen to you all day long. Try to explain to me why that makes any sense other than fear, FOMO, fear that it's going to tank. Okay, well, at that point, you're just an exploiter. Okay, as long as you're proud of it and you say, yes, I'm proud to be an exploiter, I'll respect you at least for being honest about it. But what I think really is going on, folks, is you got people that don't care about the project, people that don't care about the token success, people that are only looking for profit and nothing else. In order to avert or avoid that kind of situation and that kind of manipulation to your token project, it means that what we currently do as far as anti-will isn't going to make sense in the long term. And we got to get creative about how we not block them from doing what they do because we need them, but we manage how they're able to do it. One idea I had, and I would love anybody who's thinking of creating a token at any point, I would love to talk to them because to me, I would love to kick the tires on this, especially on the Ethereum chain and BNB to a lesser degree, but I would love to see some structure that says within a 24 hour period, you can only sell one in versus, uh, you know, whatever. So for example, if it's Binance right now, Binance's value is about 470 bucks. Let's say you got 50 Binance into a thing, right? So about what? $20,000. So, okay. You can only sell, $470 worth of a thing every day. Every 24-hour period, it's going to see if your wallet address is sold before. So the only way you can get around it would be to stage up multiple wallets, but you still aren't going to be able to do the mass bulk sell that we're talking about. You'll be able to sell, but it's spread out. This is what I want to see. I want to see that we are able to manage and mitigate the amount of damage that occurs to a token by way of not blocking them from selling, but simply throttling how much they can sell within a given interval, because until we do that, I think we're going to have issues trying to manage this situation for every crypto. And I know there's kind of a hesitation to do that for multiple valid reasons. One is if you're doing a buyback situation, that contract address needs the ability to do whatever sales it's going to do. No problem. Whitelist it. You can do that in the code. But I think you should be able to figure out a way to minimize how much of the core liquidity they can drain within a period of time. If you think 24 hours is just not fair to people, then at least throttle it to something like every hour or something that is incremental, something that's an increment, not, I saw some contracts like ETH Van Token. It has a so-called anti-whale. And remember, I was talking about, is it the 1%? Well, the problem is, is that that only makes sense if it's 1% of your liquidity maybe, but they were selling way more than 1% of the liquidity. So maybe the 1% needs to be rethought. Maybe the 1% is simply around 1% of the total liquidity that's available as opposed to the 1% of the value or the 1% of the inventory. Because you think about, if I only have a million in liquidity, 
but people are able to sell for 50000 at a slice, it doesn't take very many before you tank that price. However, if I cut it down to just 1% is the most that you can do within a single transaction, and we assume that there's enough volume coming in that you're pulling in you know, 15% every day, that 1% is nothing. And those whales will never be able to affect the price of the product to any significant degree. And then maybe you get to a point where the liquidity is so strong that you adjust that percentage. You say, okay, now it's 2%, and now it's 3%, and now it's 4 So maybe some structure to where it's against the liquidity rather than against the supply or against the value. I'm just thinking of ways that we can get creative where we're not stopping whales because we need them and we need them to sell because we need the volume. But ways that they're not able to completely drain what liquidity is available by way of their transactions when you have a strong price movement where the what they sell is going to basically drain that liquidity dry and your market cap just starts tanking. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the clean answer is. Like I said, if anybody who's creating a token, I'd love to chat it out and see how can I help a token solve this problem to where we can get one that's able to have healthy growth. Cause I don't think the ETH fan token was necessarily healthy growth, even though they didn't do anything wrong. I want to be clear. They didn't do anything wrong, but I didn't think it was healthy growth. I mentioned in that episode, you just don't know if it's a pump and dump, meaning like a, an intentional desire to drive its price up and then sell out whale. That's what it looks like was happening, but not by the devs, by coordinated strategic attack from the whales. I'm saying, how can we allow them to buy into a project, contribute to its growth on a sustained basis, but also manage them being able to sell out so they can get money out, but they can't tank it, and how to measure that against liquidity to where it's a nice clean balance between the buys and the sells. Even Green Chart, as, as solid as its tokenomics and its build and structure is, was getting attacked from this type of sell-off too. And to the point that there were sustained periods, that chart was not green. And today, I believe it's not green. So there's something around it where no matter what the token tries to do to try to mitigate and manage it, whether it's a buyback burn or it's a burn of the tax or all these other gimmicks and things, there just don't seem to be any sustained way to manage tokens and whales of those tokens so that you're able to sustain true growth, healthy growth without significant drop. And then how do you increase volume and keep the volume high? I think that plays a factor because your whales, if your whales were the driving force behind the volume, that means it's necessarily unsustainable because when you lose them, your volume tanks. It's not healthy volume. It's not volume from a lot of people. It's volume from a lot of money from a small number of people, if that makes any sense. So hopefully that's been a little bit informational as to kind of what's been going on in the industry just in general. There is a sentiment of sell-off I am seeing, and it's affecting the prices. And because of the core coins being affected, it does seem to be affecting other things in the industry. Not every coin is affected. Some coins are able to weather this, as we saw before. But I'm seeing coins that were normally very stable, like Market Move is being significantly beat up, which doesn't make sense to me because they similar to green chart and others have mechanics built in that were designed to avert this kind of harm. That tells me that there's more to it than just raw sales. It's got to be something with the core coins and the value of those coins that's affecting it, which means how can we keep the liquidity truly healthy when things like this happen? And maybe there's no solution to that problem other than building up additional liquidity pools in parallel. Like some of these projects will say, you know, we're on Binance and we're on Ethereum and we're on Polygon, and so we will 
share the liquidity strategy amongst all three? Maybe that's the answer because Tron right now is spiking, which makes no sense to me just because I, Tron doesn't have anywhere near the same, the network doesn't have anywhere sim, the same utility, anywhere close to Binance as an example. So it doesn't make sense that that one would be specifically spiking, but then Matic is down. That one certainly doesn't make sense because we know that Matic's popularity has been increasing. So it's a very contradictory market right now. And that's why I don't think, I don't think there's anything wrong per se. I do think it just seems to be seasonal, perhaps symptomatic of tax season, symptomatic of, I don't think there's a sentiment concern, but there could be. I don't hear any chatter about the government doing stupid stuff that would cause freak out. Not that I can tell anyway. It just seems like it's a contradictory market. It's what it is. And then on a couple of the points here, this came up um, due to some chatterings on social media. And I wasn't going to directly address it, and I'm still not going to, but I want to indirectly talk about the symptoms of what happened and why it happened and the larger picture of a thing. Anybody that's listened to me on a routine basis has heard me repeatedly say how I cannot stand token migrations. I don't like them. I've never liked them because none of them ever go clean. It doesn't matter how great the team is. It doesn't matter their intentions. It doesn't matter budget. It doesn't matter time. No token has been able to do a migration without problems, period. And so I don't like them. I don't like when they need to happen. If you go back to, I believe, the initial episode that I did where I covered the Dior token, and I talked about the CEO change that happened. This isn't roughly around November timeframe. And I said that one of the things they announced was they were going to do, at that time, a migration to a new contract. And so they had done the freeze and they were doing things to get the new contract up and running. And I said at the time, migrations drive you nuts. I can't stand them because no matter what you do, they don't turn out well. And I also don't like the constrained inventory because of the psychology. It's not for me personally. It's the general psychology sentiment from investors. So there's really three factors here that I'm going to be covering without directly attacking any individual because it's not about individuals. It's not about projects. It's not about any of the coins. It's a general sentiment from cryptocurrency around migrations. And I love to have the chat with anybody, any token developer, any token admin that just wants my pick my brain on suggestions and thoughts and things I see from the lens of an auditor, because I've done audits, the lens of a developer, because I've been a developer, the lens of an investor, because I would love to share what I think are some ways that we can try to help solve this problem. I don't, I'm not in the room when these things happen. But here's the three, here are the three things I see that seem to always be overlooked in any migration, any token, every single time. Number one, when a migration needs to be designed, there's almost always an intent to constrain inventory. We, we think that the inventory that we had was too much and we want to constrain it. I've said before, I believe the perfect inventory for any token is no more than 100 to 200 trillion. But I think that when you go down to the billions, it's too low. When you go down to the millions, it's certainly too low. I want to explain why I feel this way. When you do the constrained inventory, a lot of investors and people listening to this, this audio now may agree or disagree, but a lot of investors, there's a psychological effect of seeing that you own, you know, millions and millions or billions and billions or trillions and trillions of a thing. It's psychological even though the only thing that matters is your basis, how much you put in, how much money is in there. 
there's a psychological effect to seeing that you own a lot of a thing, especially when you're coming in with a little bit of fiat. And we've seen tokens where you can invest a little and gain a lot if you just sit on it. Satama is one good example of this. Shiv is another good example of this one. Floki is another good example of this one and so on. And so when you start with an inventory and just to give you some raw numbers, when you are able to buy something and get 19 trillion of a token and you're like, cool, I'm set because this at some point when it starts dropping zeros, I'm going to get, I'm going to get to the point I want to be. And then a migration happens. And when they constrain the inventory, your 19 trillion turns into 1.9 million to the person, the investor, they think they lost money because they're not thinking about the basis. They're thinking about the number of tokens that is, I think, harmful from a sentiment perspective. It's not, you're doing anything wrong, but I think no matter how much education you can do, the reality is the psychological effect cannot be understated. So I always say when you're in the sextillion tokens, that's way too darn much. That's why Dozilla can't get past its hurdle. And others like, you know, OCCT, they're going to have a hard time doing it. I think uh, Shinja is going to have a hard time. These ones that have an outrageous number of inventory, I think they're going to have a hard time of it. And so they do burns to try to get the inventory down. But that'll take time. It takes time for them to get to a point where it is now solvent and beneficial to those investors who don't want to invest $10,000. So you can invest $10,000 right now into something like Dozilla. And over a day, it'll 10x just because there's so many zeros. But that's because it's built under the idea that you've invested a lot of money in it first. However, you could invest $20, $30 and get a quadrillion tokens and it'll be worth nothing in three years because there's so many freaking zeros. So think of it psychologically this way. However many zeros you give to the token when you invest minimizes how many tokens it has to knock off to make you rich. That's why, ideally, I don't want to necessarily see a lot of zeros on the contract. This I agree with as far as migrations and the strategy. I just felt we should think about that up front so we don't have to migrate to that thought process. But if we do, I don't think we should go so far as down into the billions or the millions because now your investor is going to just assume they lost money and it's going to harm sentiment and you may get unfair flack because they think they lost money because they don't really understand it. If I think it's a, if it's a reasonable drop, so let's say you have one quadrillion tokens and you drop it to 200 trillion. Okay. I think that's a reasonable drop for most people. They'll look at the numbers and it's still a lot of inventory. It just dropped a couple of zeros for them, but they still have that growth potential and they don't feel like they lost anything. So I, I think, Inventory is a big concern in migrations, and I don't know how best to solve that problem. I'm saying that what we should ideally do is think about inventories that are not completely short compared to what we had. In that, If you start with a short inventory, I don't think it's a big deal because there you've already set the precedent to the investor. This guy's going to get to a dollar pretty quick, and you shouldn't expect to own a lot unless you were there at the pre-sale, which there may not be a pre-sale, right? So... I'm not giving a solution. I'm saying that ideally we would try to pick an inventory that makes sense up front, not start with an ungodly number of zeros up front. And I struggle with, and I'd love to talk to anybody about it, but I struggle with understanding why we started getting into this groove of 
quadrillions of tokens and quintillions of tokens and sextillions of tokens. Why did that start to be the common? Why did we move towards that instead of just kind of capping at trillions of tokens, ideally no more than 100 to 200 at the most, and then just let the burns do their thing? I don't know. So that's number one, supply. Number two, and I said it, migration mechanics seem to always be a pain. I speculated on the Earn Hub episode that they would have some issues, and they did. They still have issues. They're still working it. They're still tweaking code. Gas is still outrageously priced. They're about to do an Anyflect V3, as I understand it, so they're still doing enhancements and fixes months after the fact. That's okay, but ideally, as far as the move of tokens from A to B, I think that was the smoothest you could think of. Where I think it went south, and I don't know that they could have done anything about this, was the value of the tokens once it all vested out because all it did is Wales just waited it out and then they dumped it and then the prices dropped. And of course, I don't, when I say prices dropped, it's not like it's worth nothing. It's still worth some decent money, but it's nowhere near what it was. When this guy launched, it was 9X from where it is now. So in my situation, yes, I should be pretty darn wealthy, but because the whales had already sold off by the time I was able to get my bag to that point, I was not able to benefit from it. Any flecked V2, which is the current, doesn't do me any good because there's not enough volume and the way they do the distribution is too darn slow and it doesn't automatically go to your wallet like it's supposed to, which I think is a bug. And then, again, the gas fees are just outrageous to stake and unstake in the mirror pools. The mirror pools are decent, but they don't give what I think they should give given what the APYs are that I'm seeing. Meaning, I could take, and I have this right now in LBank, I could take a currency put it in their staking, which is a soft staking, which means I don't have to pay gas to unstake it and I can withdraw it whenever I want and I get way more money there than I get on EarnHub, even though there's roughly the same amount of cash going on. Something's wrong with that. However, the, again, the move of tokens was perfect. I think stake it in and then you'll be able to claim them out, but they made mistakes with the whole vesting. They put it to the DAO and the investors said, this is what we want to do. The flaw with the DAO and the reason I'm calling out that whole vesting thing, remember that a DAO is based on how many tokens you own. So all these whales, their, automat their votes are going to win out. You have to have a lot of different retail investors. And I think that the vote was fine and fair of what they could do. But I also think that the whales, because you gave them that vote, they already knew what to expect. They already knew when they could sell. And they already knew that it was going to jump because of the way that they were forcing the hold basically a forced staking for X period of time, then they knew that they were just going to sell out the thing. I don't know that they could have done anything different, but I think from a communications perspective, it puts a bad situation to the investors who saw their value go up to 9X, but they couldn't sell. They didn't really want to sell, but they wanted to see it go up even more because they saw price potential. But then whales, once it's free, they start selling like mass and they never come back. The same thing is happening right now with ETH fan token. And it's not doing a migration. But you have the same concept of the whale that pumps it up and then there's a sellout and then it doesn't recover in a quick time. So when you're doing a migration, the, other, the second part, first of supply, second is how can we get to the point where we use the migration to introduce opportunities to avert whale sellout? And this is where you'd start thinking about what I talked about earlier, which is can we just say, okay, every five minutes you can sell one BNB's worth of a thing or 
you know, 0.5 ETH worth of a thing. Something that is a very measured, they can still withdraw, but you got to wait. You can't just dump the darn thing out. Think about it. At your local ATM, you can't go there and pull 15,000 freaking dollars out of it. It's going to say, okay, $500 a day. Why does it do that? Because the ATM only has so much money. So that's why the, that's where the logic of this came from is maybe we need to take that approach with crypto withdrawals, the same to say, no, you're not going to be able to dump this out because there's not enough money to allow you to, you and everybody else to do that. It doesn't make any sense. So can we use the migration to think of a mechanic, even if we only do it for like the first year, let's say after migration to throttle how much they can pull out because liquidity is still young. The pool's still young. We're still informative. We're still trying to get more retail investors. We don't want to scare them away with a bunch of red. So that's the thought process. Supply number one. Two, how can we manage liquidity by mitigating whale sellout as part of that structure? Not just a vesting that affects everybody, but something that affects that's really going to affect whale sellout by way of the amount you'd sell. You're not blocking them. You're just mitigating and throttling, essentially, how fast they can get the money that they get. So that's number two. Number three some, and I suggested, how about you just do airdrop A to B? And airdrop A to B seems to me to be the cleanest way to do it. Of course, the problem with airdrop A to B is that it puts the onus on the developer team. And if the developer team is able to do that, great, but you're not going to be able to do that if they renounce ownership, right? And so the current big chatter is renounce ownership, do, do, do. And this is why I keep saying we should not just ask for things without really understanding what we're asking for. Because I do think that the airdrop method is the cleanest way to solve the problem. And just airdrop everything. Airdrop your pre-sales, airdrop your swaps, airdrop your reflections, airdrop it all. But yes, that puts more work on the developer team. But it seems to me that would be the cleanest way of doing a migration if you have to do it. Obviously, we want to try to avoid it. But when it's not avoidable, can we figure out a way that we can just have the developer team do the swap, get it clean? Ideally, it's an automated process. Right, that we'd simply say, go to a tool, you build a tool, and it you plug in your wallet address, it queries blockchain, it says, okay, you got this many tokens. In the new, I'm going to issue you this many tokens. Press a button, it's going to happen. It doesn't need to do gas because it's already reserved for you. There's no approval. You're just submitting a button, and it goes to a queue. Back in, somebody takes a look at it and says, okay, that's clean, approve. You're like, well, that's a lot. Yes, it is. But think of the alternatives that we've seen. And I want you to be, uh, think about, just truly think about the alternatives that we've seen. In some cases, pretty much everybody is doing an airdrop of tokens. Some are doing a swap, meaning you send your tokens in and then they will airdrop you the tokens back. Doing the swap, the problem is, especially on Ethereum, the freaking gas fees, and you're not being compensated for that. So you're essentially paying somebody to give you your money. I'm ethically opposed to this. Ethically opposed to it. I think any tool option should be free, 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 free. And we should not pay to get our money because it's not like the migration is optional. And that leads me to my second suggestion. Perhaps the migration is treated as an optional thing. Gentokens.com did something similar. You have two different tokens, essentially. One of them is renounced. One of them is not. So maybe you do a migration that says, this token contract out here, we're not going to touch it, and we're going to renounce it. You are free to keep trading if you want, but we're out of it. Or you can move to the new contract if you want, and we'll give you incentives for moving over because we'd like your liquidity over here. This is a more expensive option because they're going to have to build a liquidity pool from their own uh, sources. But I think that might be a cleaner option to give the investor the choice. 
maybe they don't want to do the migration. Plus, you have sometimes, I just was on a call where one guy was there from an, a dirt old migration. Like, we're talking V1 of a thing that's now at V4. And they didn't know because they weren't following Telegram. Because, Like I say, U.S. people don't follow Telegram. And they don't do social media. They don't know this. And so they're left behind. Well, if you do the parallel contract concept, it allows them to keep their situation going. But it's renounced, which means there's no enhancements, there's no fixes, there's no nothing that can happen, and all bets are off. And then on your site, you simply communicate, here's what happened with this contract. It's been renounced. It's no longer part of our ecosystem. We don't control the code. You can continue to trade it if you want, but we recommend that you move over to this other one and then just spread the word to people that you see on a regular basis or still on the old contract via all forms of social media, that might be a cleaner option to just keep the parallel contract strategy so that nobody's truly left behind. And that's what I got for you today. Again, to me, the industry is just down in general. I don't think it's anything wrong with any of your projects. If you are watching any specific projects, I don't think there's anything conceptually wrong with any individual ones. I think it's an industry-wide thing. It will pass. I can assure you that it'll pass. We just don't know what the cause is. For now, I'm not going to cover anything this afternoon. There's nothing to cover. I'll tune back in tomorrow. Take care.